Take one. Lights. Camera. Action. My grandpa killed a man-eating lion. It's 30 days has September, right? So it was the 30th of September. First time I saw the future, I was eight years old. It happened in Moscow, Russia, then the Soviet Union. Do you believe in ghosts? I was in the metro on a Saturday morning. I had already canceled on myself about half a dozen times. I thought, I, I got it. I've got to go. We have all got a Hong Kong story. A reason why we are lucky enough to call this slightly smoggy, frantically glorious city home. Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 20th November 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. The people of Hong Kong are some of the hardest working and most resilient people I've ever met. They're also some of the most stubborn and most inventive. Nothing, it would seem, is impossible for the Cantonese people living in this vibrant, organized city. And this week, as we wander the alleyways and back streets of Hong Kong, we'll be listening to a story from Pamela about her determination to achieve what looked like an impossible task. Before we get to this week's stories, though, our grateful thanks goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. Our beloved city is going through some tough times, but we hope sharing our experiences of small and large events can bring you some diversion. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our stories and hope that you stay safe and take care of one another. Greetings go out, too, to our overseas listeners, especially those in Mannheim, Germany, Marion, Arizona in the USA, and in our sister city of Macau. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. The host of our December show, Samai, has been working with the storytellers for the 4th of December live show at The Fringe. Mark your diaries. Tickets are on sale through hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with a story from our June show with the theme, Rewind, here is Pamela. When you really want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it. That's from the novel The Alchemist, and I really believe it's true. One day many years ago, I felt the urge to delete all the numbers in my head coming from my day job as an accountant. So I decided to study a new language to replace the numbers with, in my head with something more meaningful. But which language? As I was working at a European bank in Hong Kong, I told myself, definitely no European language. Then out of nowhere, Japanese came to my mind. Since my life had nothing to do with anything Japanese, I thought that was the perfect choice. So I enrolled in the level one elementary course. But given my past experience of quitting after a few lessons of studying Mandarin, French, and German because I studied those languages for work reason, and that reason alone could not sustain my motivation, I expected the same fate for Japanese. But to my surprise, I became so drawn to the language and to everything Japanese. Besides the language, the teacher also introduced to us the Japanese culture and its people. And what fascinated me most was their stories the stories of living and studying in Japan. One teacher even shared her ex unusual experience of marrying a Japanese man and becoming part of his Japanese family. The teachers brought the language alive, and I found myself 
spending Sundays studying the language and watching Japanese television drama at home to learn more about the language and the Japanese culture. During this time, I fell in love with this Japanese television drama called Majo no Joken, or The Meaning of Being a Witch. The drama was about this 26-year-old teacher falling in love with one of her 17-year-old students. It was a relationship that is unthinkable even in Japan today. But the teacher was unhappy and confused about her life defined by norms and expectations. She wanted a life of her choice. She wanted change. So she, changed, so she freed herself by following her heart and not her head. I only realized much later that my life actually mirrored her life and her courage had inspired me to follow the same. One day, out of curiosity, I asked my teacher, how much it will cost to study in Japan for one year? She said, 200,000 Hong Kong dollars at least. <laughs> no way, I was only making 22,000 Hong Kong dollars a month. Then one night, weeks later, I woke up at about 2 a.m. and could not get back to sleep. After much tossing and turning, I got up and switched on the computer. Just as I was wondering what to read, I started typing intensive Japanese language course in Japan. Wow, I discovered a long list of Japanese universities that offer one-year courses to foreign students. I signed up for the free info packs. Within one week, I received 10 info packs from 10 Japanese universities by post. Going through the info packs, I discovered some bargains. The application cost only 100 Hong Kong dollars each, so I sent it to five universities. Although I kept telling myself there was no way that I could ever afford to study in Japan for one year, I was acting the opposite direction without realizing it. When Lehtaku University accepted me to their course and to their student dormitories and gave me a long list of deadlines, including medical checkout, visa application, and tuition fee payments, I diligently followed. I even changed my lifestyle to become a minimalist so I could save more money. I ate only at McDonald's or at local cha chan tang. If I had to eat out, I brought only the necessities. I socialized through emails and I entertained myself with books and TV at home. I became very motivated in meeting the $200,000 target. Out of nowhere came the idea of emptying my MPF account. To do this, I had to declare at the government home affairs center that I was to leave Hong Kong with no plan of return, although I only planned to study and live in Japan for one year. I defended my action by telling myself, who knows, I might end up living in Japan forever. Throughout this time, I told absolutely no one about my moving to Japan plan, and I only told my parents after I paid the tuition fees. The beauty of walking along this journey alone was that there was no outside noise. I trustingly followed my inner voice. One year later, I arrived in Kashiwashi, which is a small town one hour away from central Tokyo by train. That first night when I arrived at the student dormitory, my 18-year-old Korean neighbor who spoke fluent Japanese invited me to have dinner together in our shared kitchen. Sitting around the Japanese-style low dining table in a kitchen that looked like the 1980s, we had a very quiet dinner. Although I had my English-Japanese dictionary with me, I responded mostly with nods and the word, Ayishi! 
meaning it's delicious because my neighbor generously cooked the dinner. I also felt homesick that night because everything just so, seemed so foreign to me. During the first few months in Japan, I felt awkward trying to express myself to other people in Japanese with my limited vocabulary and incorrect grammar, especially when they had to listen to me repeatedly in order to decipher my meanings. What I said must have felt like riddles to them at times, but as I gradually overcame the feeling of embarrassment in making mistakes, I discovered I could connect with people with my facial expression, hand gestures, and smiles. They were receptive in speaking with me in basic Japanese. I continued my minimalist lifestyle so I could afford to experience more of Japan. I remember standing alone and naked on the rooftop hot spring of a three-story hotel overlooking frozen Lake Akan in eastern Hokkaido at minus 23 degrees Celsius. I remember the bus driver in Kyoto who warmly reminded me as I exited the bus to take care of my personal safety while traveling alone in Kyoto. I remember the excitement of the 80 years old grandmother of my summer homestay family in Hagodate when she eagerly showed me her photos and jewelry as she reminisces her good old days. One year went by quickly, the night before I was to leave Japan, my Korean neighbor and I had a farewell to dinner together at a restaurant. She said, Pamela-san, do you remember? When we had dinner this first night, you kept looking at the dictionary without saying much. But for the past one hour, you and I have been chatting away without any dictionary. Her remark beautifully validated my whole experience of following my heart and believing when I really want something, all the universe conspires to help me achieve it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's story, brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you're feeling open-minded to new experiences and want a chance to learn storytelling, public speaking, meet new or interesting people, or just practice English, please do check out our weekly workshops. You can find more information at hongkongstories.com. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.